0: Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia, here to minister to you as the oracles of God, as it states in 1 Peter chapter 4, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We are to seek to speak as the oracles of God. In other words, to allow the Spirit of God to speak through us those words that are coming from God by His Holy Spirit through us. And so that is what I will endeavor to do in this message, which has not been prepared except for the brief notes of meditation of a half an hour each day in a particular chapter of the Word of God. And I do not even know what would come forth, particularly of these many chapters. I can say that I receive these chapters by the casting of lots, and that sometimes I don't discover the theme until I start preaching, because sometimes it isn't apparent that there is a theme in the various chapters I've been meditating on. This week, I will first share with you what I received. Uh, and make some brief commentary before I choose a particular theme chapter, which I will read and then begin to share what the Spirit of God is saying at this particular time to the body of Christ and to you as an individual. On Monday... December the 7th, I received Ephesians chapter 2. And I did make a bit larger paragraph on this chapter, and it wouldn't hurt to just read that paragraph in this introduction part of the message. The enmity from the beginning was self-sufficiency and independence from God. By performance, on the one hand, such as in the case of Israel keeping ordinances, and on the other hand, self-worship in the form of self-indul- self-indulgence. This brings an enmity towards God and also towards each other as seen in the Jews and the Gentiles. From the time of Adam and Eve, there was always a remnant that entered into the genuine fear of God that brought the recognition of the greatness of God's mercy that in turn brought the response of faith to salvation by the recognition of God as the source of their forgiveness. This means that the remnant kept the ordinances in the commandments, not out of self-trust in their righteousness, but out of a reciprocating relationship with God. As I just mentioned in the sentences before, Nevertheless, the main focus before Christ became the keeping of the law out of mere self-sufficiency of performance, which was broken in many by the manifestation of God in the flesh as a perfect, perfect atoning sacrifice in Jesus Christ. On December the 8th, I received Second Kings chapter 10 and made this brief comment. It is possible to be unsparing of compromise in your relationships with others because of your zeal for God and the truth, and yet in the end not be unsparing of compromise in one's own life. And this was the case with Jehu, which this is about. He was zealous to keep the commandments that God gave him to destroy the house of Ahab. But then, in the end, he himself lived a compromising life that deserved judgment. On December the 9th, I received from Deuteronomy 4 the following commentary is what I mention. The secret to obeying the word of God is to cleave to the Lord and to take heed to ourselves and to keep our hearts diligently, which also involves hearing the word of God by faith so that we learn to fear of the Lord God the Almighty's One and I won't go into uh, the various word meetings that I worked on here except to mention what they were uh, I looked up the meaning of cleave that was the main word there I looked up and that's all and then on Thursday, I received Luke 16, and I made this statement. Many can be deceived that they are saved and acceptable to God because of their religious attendance and dedication. In the end, the word of God, to the very letter, will be fulfilled and will not fail to expose who is their true master, the material carers of this life or God. The evidence of who is their true master is where they are putting their time and energy, such as in helping those that are in need about them that have been brought before them in their life. Christ gives the example of many that justify committing adultery and of those that are wealthy by neglecting the needy and the kingdom of God. And as I should say it this way, and as a result, neglect the needy and the kingdom of God. On Saturday, I received Luke chapter 10, and I made three sections of commentary. So the first one is, when you know God has commissioned you to do a specific ministry of the gospel, to not allow anyone or anything to engage and distract you on your way to perform that task. Do not allow it. God has given unto his servants that he is clearly commissioned and sent power to tread on serpents and over all the power of the enemy and to protect them from all harm. Now, we should be rejoicing not on the power of God in our lives that causes the spirits to be subject to us in our ministry, but that our names are written in heaven. This brings humility to allow God's power to continue in our lives by defeating pride which removes it. God reveals the kingdom to those that are humble as children. In fact, the Son will even reveal the Father unto such. In the third section, I said this. The evidence that we love God with our whole being and life is evident in a life that demonstrates God's love to those in need in our daily life. This means giving up things that seem so important but are temporal, including our comfortable religious obligations and duties, and even tasks to serve others, such as administration of food to a gathering of spiritual purposes. Of course, that's about Martha being cumbered about with the cares of serving Christ. And the disciples, when Mary sat at Jesus' feet, she was bidding him to get her to help her. And the Lord said, Mary's chosen the good part. In other words, the Lord was saying, Mary, don't be cumbered about by these things. Join us. It's better to sacrifice having food ready and to be before the presence of God. And choosing those things and last, then, cumbered above the busyness of such things. That is what I received and wrote down in commentary this last week, from Monday to this Saturday. I will now read the theme chapter for this week, which is Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember, that ye being in time past, Gentiles, in the flesh, who are called on circumcision by that which is called the circumcision, in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, he who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. For to make it himself of twain one you man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And came and preached peace to you which were far off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. In the first part of this chapter, the Lord is bringing out through the Apostle Paul, to the Ephesians, which were from a hedonistic background, how they were the children of wrath. There was obviously others among them, probably, that also, most, almost certainly, that were Jews. For there were godly, or God-fearing Jews in the synagogues in that city as well. And so you have both groups of people that Paul is addressing here. And that's why, in verse 3, he says, among whom also we all had our conversation <clears throat> in times past, in the lust of our flesh. Of course, he addresses the partition between the Jews and the Gentiles in this chapter of Ephesians. And so he's saying here in verse 3, among whom also we all, all including the Gentiles and the Jews that were in this assembly, They had a lifestyle in in the past that was in the lusts of the flesh. Even if they were living a very righteous life. Yes, not only in the lusts of the flesh, but fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So they were, in the very essence of their being by nature, the children of wrath. In other words, they had an anti-life state of being, a destructive state of being that could not enter heaven and would turn heaven into hell. Paul is emphasizing that God was rich in mercy and his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were in this state. He hath quickened us together with Christ. It says this in verse five, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. In other words, this word quickened in the King James Version means he's given life to us together with Christ, even when we were dead in sins. That's because the way a person is saved involves the working of the Spirit of God brooding upon their lives and pointing out the truth to them that brings conviction and true repentance. It involves the life of God as it were like the water softening the hard shell of the seed so that it might sprout forth with that life that can now be received internally into that life, this being the seed representing man. And Paul emphasizes here, the Holy Spirit emphasizes here, in this regards, it is by grace that you're saved. It is by God's favor, unmerited favor, that you are saved. Because when the Spirit of God moves upon an individual, it is what breaks the darkness that blinds and hardens their heart from being receptive to the reality of who God is. This is mentioned in another Scripture that says the God of this world has blinded the hearts of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine onto them or into them. This glorious gospel involves in that light the very presence of God that moves upon an individual even while they're in sin to bring them to the place of genuine birthing of the life of God in them, of being born again by the Spirit of God, being brought forth anew by the Spirit of God. As it says in the Word of God, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. My experience when I was born again is similar. I remember that I was around 12 years old and I was at a Bible camp. I heard some powerful messages in the camp from men of God and these were men of prayer, but it wasn't the message that moved me, it was the presence of God that I felt moving upon me to the point that I went and hid myself in the toilet. And the washerman couldn't stop weeping, asking God to cleanse me by his blood from all my sin. The spirit of God had animated and made real to me the atoning sacrifice of Christ. I was aware of his blood that I could be cleansed and made white as snow. I remember staying there for some time, praying and with tears asking Christ to cleanse me of all my sin. And then I went out and I looked at the trees and it was like scales had come off my eyes. I could now see dimension and color and life that I'd never seen even with my physical eyes when I looked at the creation because now the Spirit of God was not only on me, but had come to indwell me and so changed me that I could experienced that change, even in the way I was seeing the physical world around me. Now, my experience may be totally different than someone else's experience. Others have expressed that they've experienced similar things as far as their eyes seeing in a different way, even their physical eyes seeing a dimension they could not see before. So this statement, by grace are ye saved. Grace, yes, it is God showing favor towards us when we did not deserve it, when we deserved judgment, because as it says here, we were those that were the children of wrath, that were in a state of being that was anti-God, that was anti-life, that was destructive, that would turn heaven into hell. But we were brought, to the place where our pride was broken, like the hard shell of a seed is broken. And it involved the spirit of God making real to us the reality of who God is. The reality of who God is involves the reality of the truth of God's word so that there could be the response of faith to receive this grace. So that we are saved, that is, changed in our inner being, transformed in our inner being to a state that is no longer destructive, but is in conformity to the love of God. And therefore, is acceptable into the presence of God in heaven, because that destructive principle of the world, in fact, when it talks about the world in the word of God, That word world means the present system of things, the present principle of the way things operate, which is based on that which is destructive because it is a state of self-worship. It manifests itself in many different forms from those that are totally hedonistic and have seemingly no values, but to live unto themselves and justify it by philosophy or whatever other way in their lives, to those that are very righteous and seemingly very God-fearing and live a very strict, disciplined life, but in their heart, in their imaginations, they can be playing out the same things that are destructive. And when put in the right circumstance, react in a way that is destructive and that does not overcome that which is destructive which that with that which is constructive unto life, which is that new nature that is brought forth anew of God. By grace are ye saved. Now this word grace in the New Testament is a little different than in the Old Testament. Because the Hebrew meaning is different than the Greek meaning in some ways. And so you'll find that in the New Testament, it talks about grace and it talks about mercy. But in the Old Testament, the word mercy encompasses the meaning of grace. It encompasses the understanding of unmerited favor. But it all which includes the mercy of God, both in the meaning of the New Testament as well as the Old. But the Hebrew word has a more broader understanding that mercy is involving the unmerited favor of God as well. And I won't go into in depth on that at this point what I am wanting to bring out here is this. Is that what brings the mercy of God that all is what also in the New Testament understanding brings the grace of God. The mercy of God is that understanding that comes from one's own heart, that they are guilty before God, that they deserve the judgment of God. This is what breaks pride. Your spirit can no longer worship your soul, which is that state of consciousness that you are who you are. This is a state of self-worship when your spirit worships your soul. But that is broken when you know really that you deserve the judgment of God and that you are wrong, that you are guilty. And what brings one to recognize that they are guilty and deserve the judgment of God is a choice to rightly recognize the reality of who God is. The Word of God says that he that believes in God, he must, one must first believe in God before they can have faith. But what bursts the genuine belief in God? which involves the right recognition, the choice to rightly recognize God for who he is, is the essence of what the fear of God is. It is a choice to recognize the integrity of God's being of love that is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to his love, a choice to recognize that the reality of ultimate power must contain a quality that has absolute integrity of judgment against all that is corrupt. It is the integrity of God's love that is a blazing fire of judgment that consumes all corruption. And it is that subconscious recognition that is not necessarily comprehended in the mind that recognizes that for God to be truly God, He must be all powerful, and that can only be in a quality that can contain power and be entrusted with such power, which is the holiness of God, this defensive aspect of God's love that is a consuming fire of judgment against all that is contrary to it. That is the integrity of God's love. And God seeks to bring people to the place like the prodigal son, where they recognize the futility of life, the meaninglessness of life, the emptiness of life apart from God. The destructiveness of their own life, the worthiness of their own life to be in eternal torment apart from God. Recognizing They are guilty. Now the Spirit of God moves upon those that are brought like the prodigal to their senses to say to themselves, why in the world am I here? Why am I in this state of being where everything is so destructive in me and it makes a hell for everyone around me? Why is that so in my life? And then the Spirit of God begins to melt the pride because one spirit no longer is wanting to worship their soul and just, in other words, justify their own ways in independence from God, whether that be a lascivious lifestyle of hedonism or a self-righteous life that is totally deceived in a state of self-worship and self-confidence. As Paul the Apostle said, we are not those that are dogs. Dogs represents those that cause divisions out of the pride of heart, barking dogs that cannot hold their peace. He says we're not that, but we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and in truth and have no confidence in the flesh. The issue is whether we are putting our confidence in ourselves, in our own self-sufficiency to be righteous or to be independent and justify our own ways with philosophies or whatever, or with evolution or whatever. That is the issue. And what God is wanting his, wanting is for his people to recognize the importance of what is the secret to not only genuine conversion, which is the receiving, which results in the receiving of God's grace, but of the ongoing growth in our conversion, which involves also Points in our pilgrimage of greater and greater conversions onto our relationship with God, greater and greater transformations. As it says in the Word of God, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. It's an ongoing process. But the secret is whether in the first place there has been a genuine work of grace that has brought genuine rebirth that is evident in a transformed life, that is not destructive, that bears the fruits of the Spirit, that has genuine forgiveness. If we have not seen the greatness of God's mercy to us, It is because we have not seen the greatness of who God is in his holiness and how much we deserve the judgment and the destruction of of our own lives because of our own independence from God. God's spirit will brood on us even in our sin when we are willing to come to that place where whether it's the emptiness we feel within or the conviction of all of the things we've done that have been so wrong to our own selves and to others, it can bring us, even as believers, there can be deceptions of those things in our lives that are our own ways. This is very true of all believers. And we come to a point of greater and greater conversion. But initial conversion involves a belief that is not merely intellectual, an assent that is not merely for false motives. Sometimes people want to be part of a group because that group is a loving group. And that group provides many wonderful things because they're believers. And our identity can be more stronger in our relationship with people and even with those that are in leadership than than in our relationship with God. And it can be that there are those that have not genuinely been converted to Christ. In fact... We can call them Ishmael conversions. Remember that Abraham tried to fulfill God's promise through Hagar, and Ishmael was born. And this represented Abraham in his own ways, in his own self-sufficiency, trying to fulfill the promises of God instead of trusting that there would be breakthrough that was very evident to be from God. We try to work out the breakthroughs in our own ways. And as a result, we get, as Abraham had, he had 13 years of problems and trouble with Ishmael, And many of us go through the same unravelings like Jacob did before he was called Israel. But there comes a point where our own ways become evident like they did in the life of Jacob when he had to face Esau. And he had that wrestling where he could, as it were, see Esau's face and God's face, which represented the holiness of God, the required judgment that he deserved from Esau for all the ways he deceived. And now it seemed to be coming to fruition because he had to face Esau. And he wrestles with God, but he will not give up. He believes God can provide him mercy. He did not let go and give up. He believed that God could still bless him despite the deceptions in his heart. And as a result, he prevailed and God named him Israel, meaning he shall be a prince of God. The word Jacob means deceiver. And God wants to do a work also in believers in this way. But going back to the issue of genuine conversion. Genuine conversion means that we become converted as a little child. As Christ said, except ye convert, be converted and become as little children, ye cannot, I've forgotten if it says enter or see the kingdom of God, but I'm sure both are true. If you cannot perceive the kingdom of God or see the kingdom of God, you will not be able to enter into it. The kingdom of God is the right perception of who God is that results in the reception of God into our heart. Because it's not only the recognition of the holiness of God, which is the integrity of his love, but is the recognition of the fact that God is ultimately good in the holiness of God, because in God there is no corruption, we can totally trust him. He is ultimately trustworthy, and therefore he must be ultimately good. And if he is ultimately good, therefore he must also be able, without violating the integrity of his love, to provide mercy by being a perfect atoning sacrifice. And that was evident from the time of Adam and Eve. They recognized that forgiveness was in God, not in man, not in the animal sacrifice. That is very clear from many scriptures in the Old Testament. They recognized that their physical body was cleansed from a state of sin through the animal sacrifice, but they recognized that ultimately only their soul Only the inner core of their being could be forgiven by God. And they recognize that that pointed to God having such a high quality of love that it was not only totally holy, but could be transcendent to be at perfect atoning sacrifice where God himself takes judgment upon himself. I'm not going to get into that in detail. What I want to point out here is that in genuine conversion, there is a breaking of pride. There is a belief from the heart, not merely intellectual. A belief from the heart. Now, this word belief in the New Testament is pistis, meaning moral persuasion in who God is. It also means basically the same in the Hebrew in a different way look up the different words and you will find that is very true if you look into the vines in the old testament and the vines in the new testament for the word believe abraham believed god and it was accounted to him for righteousness even in the old testament it says, blessed is the man to whom the lord will not impute sin why is that because that person believes in the mercy of God and is reciprocated to the mercy of God because he has first recognized the greatness of God's mercy to him by recognizing the holiness of God which contains the goodness of God from which issues the atoning sacrifice of God to provide mercy. Only what is ultimately trustworthy is that which can assure destiny, destiny to its creation. God would not create without purpose. If he created beings that he could not assure destiny to, he created beings without purpose, and that would imply that God is imperfect. God always gives us as free will beings the opportunity to enter destiny with our choices because we can turn to the mercy of God which is part of recognizing God for who he truly is, which is what the genuine fear of God is. It is when we recognize that God is ultimately trustworthy because out of his holiness there is mercy to us as an individual that we can receive. Or in the New Testament, the understanding is grace, that he can provide grace to us who does not deserve it, because he is the source of forgiveness. Because he, as it was revealed in Christ, is our perfect atoning sacrifice. God is calling us as his people to be strong in our relationship of intimacy with God. To know the secret of the fear of God that brings this secret place of fellowship with God into our heart. I started in prayer earlier this morning. I sometimes just sing songs and prophetic words come out. Can't come out. And this morning when I was singing, I started singing and I remember in prayer that I sung something like this. O Lord, may we know the secret of thy fear, that we may enter into the secret place with you. And that is true. To enter into intimacy with God involves knowing the secret of the fear of God. It says the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And this is something that has been greatly lost in the body of Christ. Genuine belief from the heart is a moral persuasion from the heart that is very strong because it is coming out of a deep cry from the heart and a deep turning from the heart in the recognition of our undeservingness of the mercy of God and yet recognizing that we can actually receive it, that we can actually be forgiven and cleansed, like that woman that was caught in adultery. And the Lord turned and said, neither do I condemn you, go thou and sin no more. Like the woman that came to Christ's feet, knowing her unworthiness of the mercy of God, but so thankful that she was forgiven, that she's wiping his feet with the tears of her hair in thankfulness lavish love because god loved us so much that even when we were in sin his spirit moved upon us when we were brought to that state of realization like the prodigal of our emptiness apart from god of our unworthiness and and deservingness of the judgment of god apart from god and we cried out and we know in that chapter where it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The next few verses after that says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's because the true confession from the heart that comes out of genuine belief of the heart is a deep turning of the heart that is involved in that confession so that it also can be described as a cry, a call, save me, oh God, like the publican that Christ illustrated in contrast to the self-righteous Pharisees. And he said the publican buried his face in the ground and beat his breasts and cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Peter, the apostle himself, when he saw the mighty works of God, he said, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. This is deep, true, genuine rebirth. And God is wanting us to walk in that same way out of the fear of God so that we walk Even as we receive Christ, as that scripture says, that as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. It's not of works, lest any man should boast, it says in verse 9. No, it is only by the unmerited favor, the grace of God, that we are saved and through faith. Because faith responds to the right recognition of God, which is that recognition of what can only possibly be ultimately trustworthy. There is only one thing that could be ultimately trustworthy, only one quality, and that is a love that has such integrity that it will not tolerate anything that is contrary to love, and yet is so great in that love that it can take judgment upon itself in order to give us forgiveness and mercy upon repentance and reciprocation. And that message of the gospel was preached from the very beginning of time, in the days of Adam and Eve, and even in the pre-flood world it says, in the days of Enos, man began to call upon the name of the Lord. It says in the word of God, the Lord is rich unto all those that call upon him. It is an attitude of humility, a state of humility that is reciprocative to the grace of God. And humility can only be birthed when our pride is broken in recognition of who our true life source is, that we are not God, that God is God, and that our little God like deceptive ways and deceptive state of mind and being must be exposed to the light of the truth of God's Word so that we can be truly brought forth anew, the Spirit, and become truly the children of God whose names are written in heaven. Now in this passage in Ephesians, we see that the principle of the world involves self-worship. As it says, not of works lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So Paul goes on and he emphasizes, Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And in this last section, Paul the Apostle is talking about the partition. And he mentions this, in verse 14, for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He's talking about Jesus Christ because the verse before says, but now in Christ Jesus, he who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He abolished in his flesh the enmity. What was The enmity the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And of course, this is talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles representing hedonism, philosophies that justify the acceptance of any lifestyle, or lifestyles that are licentious. Judaism representing, at this time, a ritualistic self-righteousness that had crept in over time. The Keeping of the Ten Commandments The keeping of the ordinances became something that became the focus instead of their relationship with God. God did not intend that they would be so focused on keeping the Ten Commandments that they would do it out of their own self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. The Ten Commandments and the keeping of the ordinances as such became an idol in the place of their relationship with God. Those that had entered into the genuine fear of God from the very time of Adam, and even in the giving of the Ten Commandments, such as Joshua, such as Caleb, and such as the prophets that prophesied in the camp, there was a remnant always, a reasonable remnant of people within the camp of Israel and throughout even the Gentile nations from the very beginning of time that entered into the genuine fear of God and called upon the reality of who God is. The name of God, the word name is in the vines, if, or you just look it up in the Hebrew, you can see it in the vines, has the understanding of who like my name would be who I really am to you. And so who God really is to, who? to this person, to that person, who he is in reality. And when you recognize the reality of who God is to you as an individual, as they did from the very beginning, you will call upon God with desperation to receive his forgiveness. This gospel has been preached from the very very beginning of time that there is one God, only one God, and that he has provided a way of forgiveness and that this one God is holy and yet that he is transcendent with the power to assure forgiveness and mercy and that that forgiveness lies within the, the quality of his being that is so ultimately trustworthy that it is so pure in love that without violating the integrity of his being he can absorb judgment upon himself and that's only possible by totally being represented as a human being without sin living out a sinless life now i'm not going into details of those things here what i want to point out here is what is this enmity that's talked about it's the enmity even the law of commandments and ordinances. But that enmity that is talked about here, that is the law of commandments and ordinances, goes far deeper than merely the commandments that Israel kept and the ordinances that Israel kept. The source of the enmity that causes division is a state of self-righteous pride. It is a state of self-worship in place of God that causes division. It says in Proverbs that contention comes by pride. People can be very religious. They can feed their pride from childhood with teachings that are repeated over and over. They look up to their parents that are teaching them. They look up to their leaders. Their pride is fed more and more into an identity that is paramount in their relationships with their parents, with their leaders, with the people they associate with, more than it is in a relationship with God. And the evidence of that is they, don't, they do not question whether something is true or not. They deceive themselves to justify an unreality. They've never been willing to let go, even though it is very empty what they are doing. And they sense the emptiness within them and may be filled with unrighteousness in their heart. And so things continue. You got a missed call from Margretta. God is calling us as his people to be in a place where that enmity is broken. It can only be broken in the recognition of the mercy of God. It was ultimately manifested in Jesus Christ. There was many that took on the mindset of keeping the 10 commandments that was totally out of their own self-sufficiency and self-righteousness, they were in a state of self-worship. They had not really entered into the genuine fear of God. There are many today that are in the same condition. Even many that think they're converted when they're really not. And God is calling his people to come to the place where they recognize those things in them that are their own ways, if they are born again of the Spirit. Or recognize if they haven't really been genuinely converted because there is not the evidence of the fruits of the Spirit. Because when we are truly born of the Spirit, we're a new creature. We're not the same. We, we manifest. doesn't mean that we don't have faults. It doesn't mean that we don't manifest things that are not the fruits of the spirit, but it means that the preeminent thing in us is that we are teachable, that we are willing to humble ourselves, that we are willing to repent when we see those things that are wrong, that we are willing to receive one another as Christ received us as sinners. How many will justify not receiving brothers and sisters in Christ because they just believe a bit different than them? Or because they've offended us in this way or that way. And so we do not have fellowship one with another. We do not want to talk to one another. The true evidence that we're truly forgiving one another is that we receive one another as Christ received us. The word of God says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The evidence that we are walking in the light of God is that we do not hate our brother, that we do have fellowship with those that we know are born again of the Spirit, that do not love the world. It does not mean that we fail to love those that are lost, but we do not have reciprocative fellowship that is deep with those that love those things that God hates, obviously. That's why it says that fellowship with the world is enmity with God. God is calling his people to come out of those things that are causing partitions. It has been the truth from the very beginning that there has been this partition between hedonism and self-righteousness. I could go into great detail on this. Both have their roots. The root of the enmity is in this state of self-worship that is a destructive state of being. I'll only briefly say this, that there's an archaeologist, David Roll, which is a renowned archaeologist, that has found evidence that there was a city of Cain before the flood that was built again after the flood and that developed a worship of a counterfeit God. Now Cain had an image of God as a tyrant because he lost sight of the mercy of God. That is why he did not recognize his need of the mercy of God and brought his own self-sufficiency before God. He was in a state of pride and God could not accept him and God gave him the opportunity to let his pride go. He said sin lies at the door but no Cain went the other way and he killed his brother. But he later on became so alienated in his perception of God that caused this initial sin that he developed a totally false image of God as a tyrant that could not show mercy. And the city of Cain after the flood is all shown in archeological discoveries through David Roll and others. And then we find later on they built, and Nimrod built another city besides Erudu, this first city, the city where Cain was, uh, established worship in the pre-flood world. I guess they figured out where it was after the flood. And then from there it went there, and they developed worshiping this moon god that was basically this kind of concept of God. And this moon god worship went then later on in history to the Babylonians and all that. And then it went to the Arabs and they had their 360 gods that they marched around before before Mohammed came. And then Mohammed claimed there was one God called Allah, which was meaning the God. And that was the one he was referring to was the moon God. But he then did renounce that so-called moon God, but they still march around those 300, the same stone where they marched around the 360 gods. So you can see where that's at. But this is a self-righteousness, see. So there is the religious state out of self-righteousness. And then there are the others that go into hedonism and philosophy and the justification of a licentious lifestyle. And those two things have been the enmity from the beginning against God first and against one another. But when Christ came and was revealed on the cross, the tendency of the mindset to be on the law instead of out of a reciprocative relationship of love because one has been born again And by the way, I will say here that people were born again from the very beginning. Christ expected Nicodemus to know that even before he died on the cross. And it was true that people experienced rebirth. And I could go into that, but this isn't the place to explain how that is so. And it doesn't negate the fact that there was a big difference when Christ came where we could enter into the Holy of Holies because then our soul and spirit could be cleansed so that we could enter into the Holy of Holies and experience not only the dwelling of God with us, but the indwelling of God. But the fact is that when God's spirit dwelt with them through the cleansing of the flesh, there was still rebirth by that dwelling of his spirit with their spirit in a state of trust that was held open by the dwelling of the spirit with them. Now, I'm just saying it very quickly here because I don't want to get sidetracked. What God is wanting to bring forth in the last days is the total tearing down of this partition by the recognition that the partition is torn down by recognizing who God is in Christ, which was recognized from the very beginning because Christ said, whoever has learned of the Father will know me and will come to know who I am. And they were taught of the Father from the very beginning. Those that recognize God the Father in his mercy, out of his holiness, were brought to receive the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. The Father is merely the expression of the Son. It says that in Hebrews 1.3, that Jesus Christ is the full expression of the Father. He is God expressed into the time and creation realm, the one and only Son of God, the one and only expression, full expression of God. This partition must be torn down in the body of Christ. It means that we come to a place where we repent of our religious tendencies out of our own ways of self-sufficiency to cut one another off, to put up these partitions that come out of this self-sufficiency of our own ways. It is in recognizing the greatness of God's mercy and love to us, that we can receive one another as Christ received us. If a brother or sister believes a bit different or they got some areas of deception, we still love them, we still forgive them, we still receive them. And we admit our faults, even though they're far more in the wrong in how they've offended us. We go to them and we wash their feet And we say, listen, I have this fault and this fault, and I want you to know I love you and I appreciate you. And that will melt the hardness. It's when we choose to initiate the love like God did to us that while even we were in sin, his spirit brooded upon us when we were being brought to that place of openness to receive his grace. Part of being brought to that place was God not only initiating his love by first coming in condescension, such condescension, that it should make us be filled continually with gratitude. There's a song that is so appropriate, it's a Christmas-themed song, and I can't sing it Necessarily in full right now, but it goes like this: What condescension, bringing us redemption, that in the dead of night, with not one hope in sight, O God, gracious, tender, laid aside his splendor, O stooping to woe to win. To save my soul. Oh, how I love Him. How I adore Him. My breath, my sunshine. My friend indeed. The great Creator became my Savior. And all God's fullness dwelleth in me. That is the crux of this message. That we should see the greatness of his mercy and love to us. And show the same to one another. And break down the walls of denominationalism. God is after his bride that it be pure and spotless without blemish. And part of what that means is that we are willing to be misunderstood and to stand in the gap to tear down those partitions, to humble ourselves before those that are doing us hurt and harm because we're willing to stand in the gap. Then the partitions are torn down of denominationalism and denominational mindset that comes out of our own self-righteous ways. Then we find time to get out of our own convenient, comfortable shell and help those that are poor and needy around us. Oh, there was so much in the other passages I could have shared, but this is the theme chapter. Let us be those that are repairers of the breach, restorers of the paths to dwell in. Oh, I could speak for a long time here. We need to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand when we start our services. I'm making an outline that's in-depth in what God is calling the church to be that does not limit him in the last days so that churches can be planted around the world in these last days that are truly his bride because they have allowed the government of God to have its way not only in their lives individually but corporately. I'm looking forward to finishing this outline soon. And I pray it's implemented and improved upon by others that may see things that I don't see. But it's time for the body of Christ to rise up and to conquer, to repent of being a denomination and being denominational, to repent of control so that the body of Christ can come forth, each member functioning as it will and should and in humility and in reception of love for one another. May God bless you for listening to this message. I look forward to continuing to serve the Lord in the ministry of His Word.